Craziness, why would they do it? Now, some people get a kick out of it. I get that. But I will tell you this. I don't know the people that are there. Some of you do. You've met them. But I will say this. I've realized as I've talked to many people that have moved overseas, they do it because they love God and they love people. They love God and they love people. This world right now is lost. And what happens to a lost world, church? They stay lost. And when they stay lost, they face the penalty of death. They face God's wrath and they face an eternity. And I'm going to say this tonight as we start in going through. This is not meant to scare. This is not meant to do it. This is to kick the facts out. That people that die without Jesus spend an eternity separated in hell. After the first 100 years that they are there, the first 200 years, the first 500 years, the first 1,000 years, the first 10,000 years, after a million years of facing this, it is not even the beginning of the separation of God and facing that wrath. I want it to just sink in for a moment. But we are not a people that are motivated by hell. We are a people that are motivated by grace and love and the mercy of God. This is the good news. We are motivated not because of what we're afraid could happen to us. We are to be a people motivated by the amazing love that God has as a holy God who chooses to show mercy and grace and pay the penalty through Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we are tasked to, privileged to be able to share with our neighbor next door and throughout the world that they would know this loving God. I want us to go tonight, if you have your Bibles, and I want us to go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And here we have Paul. See, he's writing to the church at Rome. And in chapter 10, he's beginning to talk about the Jewish people. And as he is talking to them right now, as he writes to the church at Rome and talking about the Jews, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Think of what Paul says right here in the beginning of this. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. First and foremost, think about what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that his heart's desire, what he desires, what churns up within him is that, and his prayers as they go together, is that they might be saved. Well, saved from what? A lion? A polar bear? Like, what are they saved from? It's interesting because people say this all the time. I'm saved. Okay, what's that mean? Paul prays that they may be saved 
from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. When we face the penalty of sin, and sin meaning miss the mark, God expects, it's an, it's a, I'm saying something that many of y'all have heard a thousand times before, but sin is what? What's that term? Archery. Thank you, beautiful bride. Don't ask questions. There's too much snitchel hangover right now, right? So it's like going, uh, I'm feeling Okay, church, here's what we're going to do tonight. Everybody's going to take stand up. And you're going to jump one pew at a time, okay, on the count of three. Ready? One, two. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, here we go. All right, so here's what we're saying. The penalty of sin. In archery, target, take it. I'm not aiming at anybody. You want to hit the bullseye. If you miss, it's sin. Want to hit the bullseye? Want to hit the target? God expects mankind to get a 9 out of 10, right? God expect, he expects us to get an 8 out of 10, right? What does God expect? 10 out of 10. How many people hit a 10 out of 10? Raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. Please don't do it. Please just do not do it. And here it is that Paul's saying, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved from the penalty of their sin. The penalty. Death. Eternal separation from God. Who? All of us. But here's the beauty of this, church. Listen. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for God. These Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Think about this. How many people do you run into that think that they're a pretty good person? Almost everybody. Now, I do know that there are people that I run into and they think that they're worthless. They think that they're horrible. They think that they're... they're I get it. I understand the brokenness. But I'm going to share with you right now, the most people that I run into, you ask them a question. Hey, what do you think? Y'all, I'm a pretty good person, right? Right? I'm a pretty good person. Based on what? Based on what? I mean, I have talked to people in moments that have done horrendous things. And they say they're a pretty good person. Like, horrendous things. I, I'm, I'm a good person, though. Why? My, my favorite one that I love to hear is because I ain't killed nobody. Which is not Scottish. That's Kentucky. Ending it with a T instead of an E-D. I ain't killed nobody. But the problem, church, is this. In order to figure out if we feel like we're good, we start to establish our own righteousness. We start to establish our own standards of why we think that we're pretty good. Right? We all, all of a sudden come to a moment and we go, well, I'm a pretty good person. Based on what? Well, based on these standards. Well, who gave you those standards? Well, I did. But aren't you the pretty not good person? Like, how is it that you get to establish the criteria? And what's interesting is, I'll establish the criteria for me, and I'll also establish it for you. But then I tend to be a hypocrite, because if I mess up on it, I say, well, it just didn't mean to, but if you messed up on it, ha, 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 So the reality is this. 
The most dangerous thing is Paul is writing and praying and the desire that they would be saved for his fellow brethren Jews is the fact that they have established this false sense of self-righteousness. They have this zeal. They talk about they're passionate for God. But the zeal is without knowledge. It's kind of like this. How many of you all, if I were to tell you right now, I have a zeal to be a firefighter, would that be exciting for you? It might be until your house is on fire, right? Right? If I tell you I have a zeal to be a firefighter, I'm going to be a firefighter. Sean, you just do that. That's a good job. I just love it. Great. Let's practice on your house. Mm. See, here we have the Jews and they have a zeal. They have a zeal for God. They talk about God. They talk about Yahweh. They talk about the law. They talk about prayer. They talk about all these things. But all those religious activities actually is leading them away from God because their heart is not lined up with what he desires. They have all the outward things. It's the reason I listen to people at times and people will sit there and... and, and somebody will talk to me and I'll sit there and say... They'll say... Oh, they pray. And the next thing I know, somebody will walk up to me and go, Oh, they're a Christian. They say they pray. And I said, Did you ask to whom they pray? Like, not everybody prays to God. Prayer, we use these buzzwords. We use these things. Prayer, church, and all these things. But church, I'm telling you, that's us creating a sense of self-righteousness that if we do these activities, somehow we're a good person or we're okay. This is what the Jews had done in this moment. They had created their own sense of self-righteousness. Now listen to verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If I'm trying to establish that I'm good with God, trying to go through the law, which is going to explain, you better not miss the mark one time. If you're going to try to stand before God and you're going to try to tell him that you're a pretty good person, not me, not Pastor Josh, none of you all, but you're going to stand before God and tell him I'm a pretty good person, well, you haven't even asked him what his standard is. His standard is perfection if you're going to go through the law. Perfection. Verse 5, listen to this. For Moses writes about the righteousness... That is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Moses writes about this. Now as he's talking about... Now Moses still knows that it's faith. Okay, let's get this right. Moses knows that it's faith towards God. Abraham it was faith. Moses. But as we're talking about this idea, this covenant thing that's going on... But we know this. If you're going to try to prove yourself to God... You better hit the law perfectly. You better not mess the standard up one time. I don't know anybody who's done that, do you? Jesus. I caught it. I caught it. Maybe you weren't saying that, but I think I read your mind. I know it. I get it. I see it. Church. Hear the Jews... And think about it. Like, do you remember the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to, in, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus says, why do you call me good? First of all, catching him, like, are you trying to butter me up? Do you realize who you're talking to? Do you know that only God is good? Hello? But then he says, you know the commandments. And so he gives him just the five at the bottom. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not bear false witness. Like he gives him the five. And you would think in that moment that what he would do, what he would do is be so broken and say, but I failed those Jesus. I failed those rabbi. I have messed up. Now what? Then he would have found hope. Then he would have found salvation. He would have found Jesus in that moment. But he didn't. Do you remember what his answer was? What was his answer? I do all that. I've been done that since I was a kid. He had convinced himself because of the culture around him that did not use the law for the purpose of what the law was. The law was to point people to their desperate need that they were sinners in need of God. But they would manipulate it. They would do things, which is the reason why Jesus had to keep reinterpreting things. You've heard it say not commit murder. I say that if you've hated someone, you have failed. Jesus had to give them back the purpose of what was going on. Go to verse 6. If they're going to do this, then they must live by them. This is what it's talking about. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Here we have this moment. If you're going to do the law, it's about what you do. But if it's going to be this type of righteousness based on faith i don't have to try to do in something and go to the, the 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 parts of heaven to seek jesus or go to the depths to find it. it's not about what i do it's about what he's done the hope in this moment is not about what i'm trying to accomplish it's what he has accomplished church we get it so backwards that we keep thinking that we have to clean ourselves up. But the gospel tells us that Jesus comes to us and tells us to take it by faith. And why Jesus? Like, why Jesus? Church, I will tell you right now, and I'm always amazed by this. Like, if, if you want to, if you have questions about who Jesus is, I'm going to just be... I'm going to tell you, put him to the test. Do your research. Ask questions. I mean, if don't just take it because someone tells you. Like, you go and look at it. I will tell you this. If you will be honest and look into Jesus, you will be utterly amazed at who he says he is. Every religion, this is a very interesting thing. Every religion wants to incorporate Jesus Christ into it. Every single one. You ever thought about that? If you look at Hinduism, they have billions of gods. Guess what? Kind of throw Jesus in there. Islam comes later. If you write about it, you'll read about it in there. They include Jesus. He still has the virgin birth. Now, they have some things written in the Quran that doesn't represent Christ. It says he never claimed to be the Son of God. But every religion tries to incorporate Jesus into it. It's amazing. Why? Because when you put it down to it, it's hard to come away with saying that he's just a man. It's hard to come away. You have to look at because he 
is amazing. He is the epitome of who God is because he is God in flesh. Jesus, and we think about this, the wrath of God, the wrath of God comes against those who miss the mark. Who is that that's missed the mark? A little scary in a Baptist church, raise your hand, right? I get it, I know. Church, have we forgotten? I, uh, maybe you haven't, but I just want to remind us. Have, have you forgotten that you and I deserve God's wrath? Like his all-out wrath. Like, you deserve God to look at you and say, I am done with you because you have rebelled against me. You want to do it your way? You want to think your way? You want it to be all about you? You want to be liked by everybody and could care less what I think at times? You have missed the mark more than once. And as a holy, righteous God, I'm going to tell you right now, he can't back down from that standard. He can't. Think about it. Let's say that someone burned your house to the ground. It wasn't me, okay? Let's say that someone burned your house down. You lost everything that was important to you. Memories, you lost everything that was important to you. And that person stands on trial as you have lost everything. And as they stand there in that moment, that person looks at the judge and he says this, my bad, I'll never do that again. And the judge says, good enough for me, go on your way. How would you handle that? There's an honest answer. How would you handle that? Screaming like a banshee, right? You'd be angry, right? Angry, mad, guess what? The reality is this. And church, here's what I'll tell you. We know that that's injustice. And God is about justice. Like there's so many times that we think as Christians, no, no, justice isn't important. It's just like, no, justice is important. In fact, we as Christians should be standing up to find justice at times for people. But not just justice, but justice with God's love and mercy. Not by itself. We should seek and go for those that are in hurting need and to stand before them and to stand up for them. Justice is not something that we should lose as Christians. But I'm going to tell you right now, what we deserve because you and I have burned somebody else's life down. We have done things to people. We have harmed people. We have hurt people. We have done things against people. And when God looks at us, he says, you are guilty. And you deserve the full penalty of my wrath. Everything. But here's the beauty of Jesus. God loves us so much that in that moment that Jesus came and took the penalty of our sin. And I don't know if we've become immune to it or inoculated to it, but I don't know if that brings a lot of thrill to us anymore when we hear those words over and over again. And that scares me. 
It's almost like we've just heard that mantra over and over again, and we have forgotten what it means. He has chosen to step in and to be my Savior because he is love. He doesn't get rid of his justice. He doesn't get rid of his holiness. But his grace and mercy comes in to take our penalty when Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, can take it upon the cross. And we don't have to go up to the depths or the heights of heaven or the depths of the abyss. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. And listen to what it says here. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Church, think about this. Now, what does this mean? First, if we were going to go by the law and try to do that righteousness, we would try to be doing tasks all the time. Doing, 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 doing. Never slowing down. Never doing, 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 doing. But now we come to this. Jesus has fulfilled the law because he's God in flesh. Perfect. And because of his great love, he offers it to us. But what does he want? He wants us to love and to trust him. That he says who he says that he is, but also this, that we align our lives and say everything about me now is given to you. Whatever you want, however you want to do it, I know that you love me and I give my life unto you. Everything about me. I'm going to use an old time illustration. If you've heard it before, hang on. Here we go. There was a gentleman had an act that he was doing. So he went to a river high up took this line and he put it across. From one line to the other, it covered over the river. This began to draw the attention of the crowd and the crowd began to look and see what was going on, wondering what this guy's doing as he puts this line across the river. And as he puts the line across the river, the guy steps on the line. And as he steps on the line, he begins to tightrope all the way across this river. And everybody's like going, that's, that's pretty good. So the guy jumps on and he walks all the way across. People are like, well, that's pretty good. Then he gets a wheelbarrow. You know what a wheelbarrow is? He takes that wheelbarrow and he puts it on there, that one wheel, and he puts it on there, and he puts it on the line and he starts to walk across. Now people are like going, this is pretty good because they're waiting for him to fall, right? You know? So he gets all the way across and he comes off. And like people are like amazed. And then he gets on backwards. He walks it all the way across and he comes out. Now people are going nuts. And he goes, how many people believe that I can do this again? And they're like, absolutely. We've seen it done. We know you can. We know you can. How many of y'all believe that I can put somebody in this wheelbarrow and take them across and get them all the way there and all the way back? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Who's getting in? Good answer. Out of the mouth of babes. Good answer. Childlike faith. Good job, little one. Good job, little one. I, I wish we as adults would jump that quick on an answer. I'm being serious. Childlike faith. Somehow we get too old for knowing what Jesus wants. He wants us to trust him like a child. Me, I'll get in. 
You want to know in that illustration? Here's what I'll tell you. Most of us right now, when we come to salvation, when it comes to trusting Jesus, we think it's about our words. We think it's about this intellectual knowledge. We think it's about what we're going to say. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not what faith is. Faith is not intellectual assent to what's going on. I'll give you the quick example. We go into Acts, and here we have the seven sons of Sceva. You can go look it up yourselves. Don't trust me. A bunch of Jewish exorcists in this moment. There's a man that's possessed by a demon. This is in Acts. Don't take my word for it. Open your Bible. Trust it yourself, okay? Read it. Seven sons of Sceva, they get in there. This guy is possessed, and as he's possessed, seven sons of Sceva come in. They are not Christians. They're Jewish exorcists. And so they come in, and they say this. They stand before that man who's possessed, and they say this. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. Well, they said the right words, right? They said Jesus, they said the prayer, they said it with authority, they said it with all these things. Anybody remember what happened? That demon looked at them and sat there and go, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know who you are. And he ripped them to pieces, sent them out naked. They ran out of there. Because guess what? You can't say the name Jesus and think that it's going to matter. It's got to be that you trust it's got to be that you're all in. Your life is in. If your faith is not in a wheelbarrow going across that line with Jesus pushing, it doesn't matter the words that you say, the intellectual things you come up with. It doesn't matter, and I'll even say this, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but if you said a sinner's prayer and you said those words, but it was about saying the words and not about aligning your life to God, you've missed it. Because that is not what the Bible talks about as salvation. Now, if you said the sinner's prayer and you gave your life to Christ and you trusted him and you just, you just, welcome to the family of God. But you got to know what you did. Um, let's go on real quick as we do this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the heart one believes. How am I justified? Not by trying to do the law anymore because I have to hit it every time. No one's done that. How am I justified? Jesus says, trust me, I've already taken care of it. Will you let me do it? You are justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He now goes back and tells the Jews, they thought they had this by right, by birth, that somehow that because they're born in, they're better than everybody else. I'm a Jew. I, listen, I have the law, I have everything else. Abraham's my father, da-da-da-da-da, so I'm in. A little bit scary, kind of almost like people sit there and go, my grandfather went to church and my grandfather was a pastor and he did this and he did this, so I'm fine. You, you ain't fine because it ain't on you. It ain't on your grandfather. It's on you to make these decisions. It's on you. And here we have this church. I want you to think about this. Here we have this beautiful message that's given out for everyone. It doesn't matter where they've been. Paul was a murderer. You have Peter that, that ended up denying Christ. You have all these people that have blown it, and yet God loves them as they have repented and come before him. He's changed their life. They're not who they used to be. They're loved and forgiven. It doesn't matter what their background is or what they've done. 
all are welcomed by God no matter what. Because he is the God of an open, loving arms and he's willing to pay the penalty for any sinner no matter what they've done. But now Paul says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to call on Jesus if they don't know who he is? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, it, it kind of boggles my mind. I think at times that we think about salvation as just me. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. But if we're going to go back and love God and love others, we're going to love what God loves. And God loves people, the worst of sinners, because I was one of them. He wants everybody engaged. And part of our heart is to go anywhere and everywhere to tell people about what Jesus has done in our life and to share the gospel, the cross, and the resurrection with everybody. If I love God, I have this desire because this is who he is. Who does God not want to reach? He wants to reach everyone. But if we're not sending people, better yet, if we're not going ourselves, something is wrong with our love for God. Something's wrong. If we don't care about people that are lost, something's wrong. If I say that I love God, but I don't care about what's going on with my neighbor, I don't care about what's going on at work, I don't care about what's going on in this state or this nation or the world, something's wrong with my heart. And I need to go before God and confess, God, my heart is hardened. It is hardened to not love like you love. Robert Thomas was a missionary of 1800s. He had a knack for languages. He had preached. He felt God calling him to go. And so he went. As he heads to China, his wife goes with him, finds out that she's pregnant. And as they are going, she dies. And so does the baby. And he is broken. He has a very hard time. He kind of loses the sight of what's going on in that moment. And who can blame him, right? With that much loss and that much grief. He finds a job just to kind of take care of himself and just trying to make it through. And then he ends up having a conversation with different people and then a couple of fishermen. And they begin to tell him about the great need of the gospel in Korea. There are people there that they don't know Jesus. They're an entire, it's an entire country that does not have access. 
And as he begins to pray and as he begins to think about things, Robert begins to have this passion and understanding that they need the gospel. And so he begins to have Bibles that are translated into the language so that people can read. And as he shows and, and goes, he goes on a, a military, U.S. military ship. And as it's traveling towards Korea, and the Koreans, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want, like, they don't want Western influence in the 1800s. They don't want to be messed with it. They have warned over and over, you need to stay away. You need to stay out. You need to leave us alone. But Robert knew in this moment that what they wanted was deceived by the enemy. And that there was a God that loved them. And so he went on this vessel, and as they was going on this vessel, Korean soldiers began to attack, and they attacked the ship. And Robert takes the Bibles that he has, and he gets off the ship as it's being attacked, and he makes it to shore. And if the story goes correctly, there's different versions, but if the story goes correctly, as he arrives at the shore, he's carrying the Bibles. And the soldiers look at him. And they kill him. And he's dead. Think about this story. Here it is that God called him to be a missionary. He goes, his wife willingly goes, find out they're pregnant. She loses her life. He goes, heartbroken, figures out what's going on. He's turned up again for the gospel. And as he goes to take these Bibles, the ship is attacked. And when he sets foot on the land, he doesn't even get to share the gospel. Many people would say, what a waste. Like, that's why you don't do those things. I mean, he wasted his life. He didn't get to have grandchildren. He didn't get to have a life of his own. He get, What a waste. He should have just stayed out. They didn't want him there. He should have stayed out. A few years later, some other missionaries began to... Things had kind of died down in Korea. The hostility was not as bad. And these two missionaries were like, we feel like God's calling us and we need to go. And as they arrive and they show up, They're amazed that people know about Jesus. They're shocked. One of the villagers takes him and takes him to a house. As he takes him to the house, they walk in and they sit down. And across the walls were Bible pages. One person had taken the Bible and been left in the sand and taken it used it for insulation, thought it would be good. As they put it up, though, they began to read it. They began to read about Jesus. And people all over the place began to come, and they began to read, and they began to hear about Jesus, and they began to hear this, and the gospel message continued to grow. And so these missionaries, thinking that they were going to show up to be able to be the ones that do it, found out that <laughs> God knows what he's doing. Why am I telling you this, church? Like, I'm not saying that, okay, so everybody let's go and let's die, right? That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I'm telling you is this. The suffering that we experience on this earth is real, amen? It's difficult. But I'm going to remind you, this is not our home. 
This is not the great reward. If I'm worried about this world and not thinking about the next, not thinking about the great reward is Jesus that I have now and on to eternity, I've been hornswoggled. I guarantee you right now, Robert has no complaints about following Jesus. What do you think about that? I guarantee you, Robert right now is not sitting there going, man. Because when he stepped out of this world into the next, and he didn't even know what happened, he got to see Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The great reward is not here, it's there, people. And why do we share the gospel? Because it reminds us of this. Once we get past the fact that they don't like us, once we get back the fact, or past the fact that it's maybe uncomfortable, once we get past the fact of, well, I don't want to bother them, once we get into the fact of God loves them and they don't even know how much God loves them and they're headed for the, the penalty of their sin and I can't force them and I'm not going to be mean and I'm not gonna, I want to love them the way that God has loved me, it changes life. But if you're in love with this world, you don't really care about the next world. If you're in love with this world, you don't really think about sharing the gospel. If you're in love with this world, you don't think about the resources that you give and the things that you invest. You only think about you. You only think about what's comfortable. And your heart has grown hard and forgotten what Jesus has done for you. Last thing, you're like going, should have landed it 20 minutes ago, Sean. I don't care. You don't have to invite me back. During COVID, I listened to us in America. We were, we were riled, right? Angry, frustrated. There are legitimate things that we needed to ask questions about. I'm all for that. Ask questions about, see what's going on. I mean, it divided us as a country. People were divided within the church. Do this, do that. You don't really love God. You don't even think about it. Well, the Bible says this. This is the best way to love people. The Bible says this, this is the best way to love people. And then we complained because we were like going, I hate this and this is dumb and I hate being at home and this is just, uh, uh, uh. But you know, I found something. If we would have been on our knees praying, asking God, what do you want to do with us in this moment? What do you want to do with this? And maybe, maybe you all were. Maybe you all were. I just know that most churches were not. If the American church would have been on its knees saying, God, what do you want to do with it? It's a bad moment. It's a difficult moment. You're still Lord. We would have found out something. Do you know that while we were upset about what was going on, there were churches that are being persecuted, or people, countries of persecuting Christians, I mean executing. Anybody that would share the gospel, I mean, you're executed in those countries. But do you know what was taking place in those countries? Their governments got shut down by COVID. Guess what the church did? We're going to share the gospel. We're going to share the gospel. You know Jesus, you know Jesus, you know Jesus. Nobody's going to arrest us because they're in COVID lockup. So guess what the church started to do in those countries? It grew. There's people that came to know Jesus in the midst of this COVID. But you know what? If you had a complaining attitude, all you cared about was you. But if we got God's mindset, then all of a sudden we were like going, if I'm suffering and other people are coming to Jesus, praise be unto God. Lord, give my attitude right. 
Church, I'm telling you, if you don't care about people, and the only thing you think about is you, where, what's happened to your love? I'm going to ask us tonight to do something different. Only with your permission, Pastor. And if you don't want to, you can say, Sean, we're going to do it differently. I want us to end tonight. I'd like it if we did it, that you'd find two or three people. I want you to pray tonight for people that you know that need Jesus. I want you to pray tonight that God would open your heart. God, give me courage and boldness. If I don't know anybody to share the gospel with, God, open my heart. I want you to pray for our missionaries. I want you to pray for E-Town. I want you to pray for this world. That people would come to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, you can join that prayer circle and be a part of that. But I want to encourage you. But if you don't know Jesus tonight, that tonight what you would do is you would come up to your pastor. Or you would come up to somebody that knows Jesus and you say, I want to know more about this Jesus. I know it's weird and I know it's awkward. But I'm going to tell you right now, I think the reason why we don't get out and evangelize is because we're too worried about it being weird and awkward. So I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit different. Find some people around you. And I want you to pray tonight for people. If you don't feel like praying out loud, that's okay. But I will say this. If you don't pray out loud, you're not praying to anybody else. You're praying to him. Right? So if you stutter, he doesn't really care. Because he knows your heart. That's what I want us to do. So I'm not even going to pray. I'm going to make it as awkward as possible. Go find people. I want you to pray. That's what I want you to do.